All right. Everybody together. Oh, halfway there. Oh, living on a prayer. See, you guys are great. Cornerstone Church, you're one-stop shopping for traditional services. So I am super excited, um, not about this, I'm Dave Sherwood, the lead pastor here at Cornerstone, but I'm super excited about Christmas Eve, and so you might be thinking, Dave, how can I invite my friends and my neighbors and my family and colleagues and total strangers to Living on a Prayer, our Christmas Eve uh, service? So I'm glad you asked. I have a few suggestions for you. First of all, we've got some of these at the Welcome Center when you came in the front door, so you could Grab some of these on the way out, and what you can do is you can put these in the hands of people so that they can find out some information about our Christmas Eve service. Uh, It works a couple of simple ways. Uh, One is you can just put it in their mailbox if you've got some neighbors or you've got some co-workers at mailboxes. Second is if you've got some Christmas cards and you haven't handed out Christmas cards yet, you put this inside the Christmas card and then put it in the mailbox or on the front doorstep, or on your co-worker's desk, or, and the list goes on. Moving right along, you've got this, and you stick it inside of a Christmas card, and you add cookies to it. Sweeten the deal a little bit. My point is this, that you spend a little bit of time thinking and praying about who to invite, who kind of needs Jesus in their life. Some people have taken a vacation from Jesus for a lot of years, and they, they need to come home. Some No idea, but you know, you've been praying for them, you've been thinking about them, you know that they really need Jesus in their life. So invite them to the service. Um, Some other uh, options include this. You can go on Facebook, use your Instagram, whatever, and you can actually go and check the Facebook page for Cornerstone and get some ideas about how to invite people. But as we're posting things from Cornerstone, you just dump all of that right into your Facebook feed so it's on your wall. Go through Messenger, if you've got Facebook Messenger, and just kind of go name by name by name and pray and say, God, should I invite this person? Write a little personal thing to them. After that, uh, we ended up with skywriting, a blimp over Duncanon. Um, you could write in yellow snow in their front yard with lemonade. What's wrong with you people? That's how you spell things out in people's na- uh, yard. Anyways, do whatever you can to invite people. It's going to be awesome. And... Um, Yeah, so we are in a series on prayer. So if you're a visitor today and you're like, okay, I'm just kind of checking out Cornerstone, we're in a series on prayer, so you're going to learn a little bit more about prayer today. We started out the series the very first week, and we talked about how important it was to be raw and real and authentic, kind of gutsy about how you engage in prayer, being emotionally real and connected. Uh, When we read our Bibles, you know, it can sound like, especially in the King James I'm really mad, God, and I don't, and I'm angry, angry, grr, grr, grr. And it just sounds really flat, sounds really monotone. But we've talked about kind of reading it in some other languages, um, in some other translations, and really kind of getting down to the core of what it is and being emotionally honest, and us replicating that in how we engage with God. Okay, so that was the first week. The second week was the idea of ask God to examine your life. Now, what does that mean? 
It means basically that you, just like you'd pop the hood on the car and you'd kind of go in there with a mechanic and there may be things that you can improve, kind of take to the next level, put some nitro in there. There are some things that you maintain, some things that need to get fixed. You ask God because God knows us better than we know ourselves. He's got every hair on our head counted, cataloged. He knows what's going on. And so we ask God, look, God, can you show me if anything's crooked or broken or wounded, or whatever inside of me, and then would you lead me in the way everlasting? Would you lead me out of that way of of living life? Does that make sense so far? Okay. And then the last two weeks, we've talked about the the big three that kind of everybody knows, which is uh, complain, uh, confess, and then credit card, which just basically means you ask God for stuff. We've added a couple more since then. We've talked about being kind of doing simple prayer, raw and authentic. We've talked about Um, the prayer of examination, and then this week we're going to talk about intercession. And so if you don't know what intercession is, you'll find out today. It basically just means praying on behalf of someone else. So with that in mind, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and if you kind of are not a, you know, a Christ follower, just you'll notice that everybody's heads kind of bow forward a little bit. You shut your eyes. I'll be praying some words. Why don't you just kind of open yourself up and say, hey, God, if you're up there someplace, these are my words to If you want to show up today and kind of lead, guide, and direct me, that'd be great. So if you'll bow your heads a little bit, shut your eyes, let me pray. Our Father God, we come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus the Christ. And we would ask that your Holy Spirit would show us what your Bible means today, what these scriptures mean, what these verses mean. You've given us the opportunity, Father, to to pray. Help us to understand what that is, what the opportunities are with that what the responsibility is with that. Would you guide us, change us, transform us? We look forward to your wisdom in our lives. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus the Christ and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Okay, before I go to any verses, what I want to do is I want to to talk about what's going on someplace else. So someplace else, something bad's going on. So I want you to imagine that you're in your house and it's 4 a.m. Your apartment, your trailer, whatever it is. Okay? It's 4 a.m. Bang at the door or maybe no bang at the door. Police come in, grab you up out of bed or grab your spouse up out of bed and you're, they're just gone because you're a Christian. This is what's happening in China right now, especially over about the last year, year and a half. Christians have been kind of thrown into prison. The spouse is left going, what's going on? Is God with us or taking care of us or not? And kids, am I ever going to see my dad again or my mom again? The question is, does this produce empathy? Does this do anything to us? Now, we live kind of in an age where empathy is getting kind of hard, isn't it? Because we see so much, our Facebook feed, our news feeds, there's so many stories. Remember, there's clickbait sometimes, it's just so overwhelming. The clickbait itself, just the title of the article, the horrific thing that's happened out there, that we don't even want to hear what's going on, and we just disengage. The question becomes, you know, kind of where is our, where is our empathy? In China, there are people that will drive by and imagine if you'd driven up this morning and this place had been bulldozed and there was just caution tape and police officers. 
This place is not registered. It's been shut down forever. What would we as a people do after that? What would our faith become? What would our church become? It's an open question. It's happening someplace else. I'm not being one of those you know, paranoid, hey, it's going to happen here tomorrow, things. That's not my point. My point is that you are just beginning to kind of open up the question inside yourself. How do I feel about brothers and sisters in my faith family that are going, on, that are going through things like this faraway places? The vast history of Christianity, we've been under, under persecution. It's still the majority of Christians on this planet right now are under persecution. What can we do about that? Is there anything we can do about that? Well, let's poke around and find out. So I'm going to start you out at a low place. We're going to go to a better place. But this is 2 Corinthians 1.8. And this is Paul, who's a missionary. And he's in, interestingly enough, Asia as a missionary. And um, when he goes through this experience, he, he writes the Corinthian church... And he's explaining what his experience is like. Because, you know, missionaries, cool, triumphant, right? For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, brothers and sisters, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Wow, that's, that's stout. He's writing to the Corinthian church. He's talking about a, a, you know, a previous event, but you know, put into the present tense. What does that feel like? He's saying, this is my experience, my Christian experience. And I'm, a, I'm an apostle. Like I'm a name. I'm an important guy. I was burdened excessively, just weighed down. To the point where my strength no longer had the capacity to handle what was going on. To the point where I, I don't want to live anymore. Despaired of life. He gets to that place. Now, here's some interesting questions. Interesting question number one is, He says, I don't want you to be unaware of what this internal landscape is like. See, part of the Christian experience is different than the world's experience. In the world's experience, we're all in competition. We need to dress better than other people. We need to make more money than other people. And we need to have more degrees than other people. And we need to know more about some knick-knack, cool, weird, obscure thing than other people. But you can't really kind of belly up to the bar and say, I'm, I'm broken, I'm, I'm shattered, I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed, I, I don't even want to live anymore. The Christian experience are these people that get together, and they're so transparent with one another, they're so authentic with one another, they're so open with one another, because they're expecting that they're going to get back grace and hope and love and care and concern. And one of the crucial things in in what's going to happen in all of this passage is this first part, which is, does anybody know what's going on inside of you? Does anybody know? He says, "I, I do not want you to be unaware. 
Does anybody know what's going on inside of you? That's one of the reasons we have connect groups here at the church, but it's, it's kind of an open question in your family with your spouse. Do they know what's really going on in there? And can you describe it? And then the other part is, not just this transparency component, but then when you hear about what's going on in somebody else's life, can you open up empathy? Can you feel for them? I mean, when I say, you know, somebody in China, you know, your mind kind of goes, yeah, you know, I feel like if I, you know, if I, if I turned it into a picture and I said, you know, there's this pastor's wife and she's sitting in what used to be their house and she's shaking uncontrollably and she believes God, but she doesn't believe God. She trusts God. She doesn't trust God. Tears are streaming down her face. Her children are kind of, you know, there in her lap and she's trying to keep their head above water while her head is sinking underwater. The, the empathy factor becomes more and more and more because you've chosen to focus on it and you've chosen to open yourself up. And so what Paul's doing when he's writing this church in Corinth the church in Corinth, is he's doing two things. He's modeling transparency, and he's asking for empathy. He goes on and he says this. He says, indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. What's he saying here? It's not actually all that complex. We have the sentence of death within ourselves, and we don't even trust ourselves. We already talked about he's burdened, he's overwhelmed, he doesn't want to be alive anymore. My only hope is, I I, I just want to go ahead and die, and then Jesus can resurrect me from the dead. That's the only hope that's left. Everything else has pretty much been flatlined. The sentence of death within ourselves. We can't even trust in ourselves. We don't have the capacity. The only thing that we're left with is maybe someday. So this is the low point. Let me move forward. He goes on and he explains the next step of what he is going through. It says in 2 Corinthians 1.10. He's talking about God, continuation, who can resurrect the dead. And he goes, who delivered us from so great a peril as death. And he will deliver us. He in whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. Okay, so he's throwing in these different tense things. So part of what he's saying is he's saying, look, let me tell you a story about just how bad it was. And let me give you a description of exactly what was going on inside of me and others, because all of us that were on this little Asia missionary tour were in this boat together. This is exactly what was going on. But we, we trusted that at least if we die, God will resurrect us, but he... He goes on and he says this, he's, God's going to deliver us, future tense, he's going to deliver us from this present situation, and we are setting our hope on him. And so he's starting to recognize, I'm at this low point, I, I can't trust myself, I, my own capacity's blown up, but I'm, I'm trusting in God, and that's making the difference. And before we go on to the next part, I've got a trick question for you. And the trick question basically is, do you think prayer makes any difference at all? I mean, that is an honest question. I, I mean, I've prayed for a Lamborghini for years. It hasn't worked yet, right? I've got lots of prayers out there. 
Uh, I, 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 I've, I've, I've prayed for all sorts of things. Does it work? I mean, when I was a, a non-Christian, I, you know, I started to do the prayer thing. I'm like, hey, I'm here. I'm here to talk to you about how incompetent you are about running the universe if you're really there. And this is stupid. And I'm just talking to myself. And it's a waste of time. And why should I say anything anyways? Because you already know what I'm going to say. And it doesn't make any difference. And yeah, did anybody ever do that? Anybody still do that? Why bother? Now, again, here's this, again, just kind of, you know, trick question, as it were. Does it make a difference? I'm asking you to think real deep about yourself. Have you invested in prayer towards anything and you feel like it, it made a difference? Now, if you go back like 100 and 150 years and you have somebody from that time come to the present and, and they, they see you holding the box to your, to your head, and what are you doing? Oh, I'm talking to somebody. What do you mean you're talking to somebody? Yeah, I'm talking to somebody. They're on the other side of the planet. What are, you, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm just, we're talking about what's going on in their life, and I'm encouraging them. I'm building them up. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, does that work? We know it works. You call somebody up. You get a, a connection, and they say some words, and it matters. The trick becomes this. It's just a box, and that person's on the other side of the planet. Is prayer one of those things that works in the exact same sort of way, even though they don't know what's going on? It says this in 2 Corinthians 1.11. You also joining in helping us through your prayers, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. Well, Paul's basically saying that I was in this place, and yes, some of it was faith in God being renewed, but the other part of all of this is your prayers got me out of that place. For the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. Through your prayers. And the question becomes something like this. When we're speaking these things out, I'm praying for my wife. I'm praying for my kids. Does God do something with those things so that they're actually deposited in my wife and kids and are actually helping them? Paul says, absolutely. Paul says he was completely kind of sunk and that prayer was a tipping point to what was going on inside of himself. Now again, you've got to just think through kind of your own experience. You know, sometimes we think a certain way because we're reading a book or we're watching a TV show or we're listening to talk radio or we, we feel a certain way because of circumstances or the people that are in front of us or all sorts of things. But sometimes we think and feel and it has nothing to do with making any sense whatsoever. Let me give you an example. You go out for a walk and you're like, you know, I'm, I'm not in a good mood, I'm not in a bad mood. I'm just walking, you know, I'm not really praying, I'm not this, that, and the other thing, but maybe, maybe the clouds part a little bit, and, you know, you see the sun come through, but it's not that the sun came through, it's that suddenly you kind of have that God awareness thing. Or you're driving in the car, and all of a sudden, you just kind of, well, I feel different, I wasn't thinking anything different, it's not the song on the radio, this peace, I feel this peace. Feel this joy. Feel something. Where did that 
Where did that come from? Is that just God being nice to me kind of randomly every now and then? I mean, sometimes I feel joy because, you know, I, I listen to some worship music and I, I did some of the sort of things that Christians are supposed to do that actually produce those things. But sometimes these things come out of nowhere. Maybe it's not nowhere. Maybe that, that grandma, maybe that, that aunt, maybe that cousin, maybe that neighbor is praying for you. Maybe there's a lot more. Maybe when you get to heaven someday, what's going to happen is God's going to say, let me show you what really happened. You know, that person, they prayed all these things. Remember those feelings that I gave you? Remember the circumstances? Maybe the, the, let me show you all of that. And all of a sudden you go, Wow, wow, wow. It's this incredible opportunity if you view it that way. If you look and you go, I can do something in somebody else's life that is, it seems weird, and I don't know exactly how it works, but based upon Scripture, it can, it can transform their life. It can be a lifesaver, literally. In Ephesians 6.18, it says this, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view. So this is what you, when you're doing this prayer for other people, this is what you're looking for. And then it lists a few things. Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Well, what's going on here? Well, it says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. So you basically just boot up and you say, okay, I want to pray. God, we. Who do you want me to pray for? And this isn't the prayer for yourself thing. This isn't the self-examination thing or confession. This is praying for other people. And what you do is you go on the alert. So you kind of, you go, hey, Holy Spirit, I want to pray for other people. I'm on the alert. So I'm like a, like a watchman on a wall. I'm like, a, you know, a, a ranger out on duty. And I'm looking. I'm, I'm trying to perceive what am I supposed to pray for. So I'm on the alert. And then the second part is Perseverance. Well, what does that mean? Oh, this is the part nobody likes. You ready? Perseverance is, I may have to pray about this a whole lot. Okay, so I don't know about you. Have you ever prayed, hey, would you fix my kids? Or fix my spouse? Nobody giggle, you'll get elbowed. Okay? The part of what is going on in this is, so I've got this person set and I'm going to be praying for them. And that part of the transformation that may happen in them is going to take time. It's going to take perseverance in order for this prayer to have an effect. And then who am I praying for? Well, obviously we pray for our spouse. We pray for our neighbors. would be good. We pray for our kids, for our parents, for our co-workers, our neighbors. And we have a tendency to think that way, but... Paul kind of opens it up a little bit farther. Pray for all the saints. And what does that mean? Well, especially for Americans, it means that we look out over the vastness of this planet Earth and we're mindful to be praying for our other brothers and sisters in Christ that are part of our family. They're not in this room today because some of them are in prison. Some of them have their tongues cut out of their mouths. Some of them are in mourning, looking at the ashes of what used to be their church. And the question becomes, well, Dave, what do you, I'm asking you to be a part of something that's joyful. It's also 
it's also sad. It's, it's got empathy and it's got wonder. It's an opportunity to pray for people and it, and it may change. It may literally save their life like Paul's talking about a little bit. But it also means open our, ourselves up to be wounded a little bit. We've already talked about the importance of we're going to have to be transparent. We're going to have to be empathetic. There's these really cool things that God wants to do in prayer, but we have to engage it with some perseverance, some consistency in our petition. So what I want to do here in just a second is I want to invite you to actually do some of this a little bit. And I'm going to give you a couple of options. Um, I'm going to take a little bit of time and I'm going to say, here's some silence, and I want you to go on alert, and I want you to ask God, just kind of you know, in your head go, hey God, who do you want me to pray for? And see if somebody kind of comes to mind. Now, maybe, as I boot it up, I'll give you some kind of different options. It may be friends, family, spouse, neighbors, coworkers. It may be people in China. I don't know if any of you watch Saturday Night Live. Pete Davidson's on uh, Saturday Night Live. He actually posted something on, uh, I can't remember if it was Instagram or Facebook. Um, he took it down almost immediately. He was kind of suicidal. He's one of the one of the actors on Saturday Night Live. Took it down real fast, and so what they did is some people saw it, and they called the police, and the police went and did a wellness check. Maybe you should pray for him. He's in despair. Maybe he needs Jesus. My point is this. I'm going to be silent for a little bit, and then I'm going to actually pray for some of our brothers and sisters in China. So if you'll shut your eyes, and bow your heads, Try to go on alert. Try to ask God who to pray for. And after a little bit, I'll pray for China. Father God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in China, particularly this morning. I pray for pastors that are in jail. I pray for people that are meeting in secret, silent rooms. They're singing with their mouths open, but no words come out. They lift faces in tears, and they lift faces of joy to you. And I pray, Father, you'd surround them with your love. You would give them a peace that passes understanding. I pray that you would strengthen their faith. You would remind them that suffering is part of our path, but that you're there in the midst of their suffering. Remind them of hope, Father, and remind them of joy that is coming. I pray in Christ's name. And God's people said... So the first thing I talked about a little bit was prayer for opportunity and a little bit about how to do it. The second thing is I I would like you to completely waste your time in some prayer for people that are going to be complete failures. You excited? Yeah, good. Luke 22, 31 through 32, an interesting little piece of information is given. This is Jesus talking to Peter. 
Simon Peter. And so Jesus says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. It's going to be rough, Pete. You're going to get... But I prayed for you. Great. Prayed for me. So I'm not going to get sifted like wheat. That your faith may not fail. Yeah. That once you've turned again, huh? You'll strengthen your brothers. What's going on here? Well, I'll, I'll explain a little bit more here in a second, but let me go ahead and set it up for you. So Pete positions himself most of the time before Jesus as sort of like, I am Sly Stallone. I am the Arnold Schwarzenegger of your disciples. I am Chuck Norris. I am super disciple. I am big, bad, and strong. And, you know, I'm going to be with you no matter what. And Jesus says to him, Peter, you're, you're about to go through the meat grinder. You're, you're about to go through the wood chipper. Satan has asked permission to run you through the wood chipper. And I've prayed for you. Now notice he didn't pray that Peter gets out of this. It's not the prayer. As a matter of fact, you'll, you'll see more. I'll prove it in just a second. What he says is he says, my prayer is that some sliver of faith will basically remain and that when you've turned, after Satan has kind of had his way grinding you into a pulp, that when you turn, you'll still have a faith and you'll be able to restore your brothers. Let me explain it a little bit more technically as we move forward in it. Luke twenty-two thirty-three 33 through 34, it says this. But he says to him, so this is Peter coming back at Jesus. He says to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. I am the SEAL Team 6 of this group of... And Jesus' response is, I say to you, Pete, um, yeah, the rooster will not crow today until you've denied me three times that you know me. So what does Peter do? He's looking at all of this going, what just happened? Jesus is praying for Peter, and he knows full well that Peter is going to categorically fail. So have you ever like prayed for something, and the, the prayer maybe wasn't perfect. You, know, you, you pray, I, 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 I need to pass this test, but then you fail. Oh, prayer doesn't work. Or you pray for something else, and how are you praying? You, you want to start thinking about how you're praying for other people. I, I would love to be able to pray for my kids. I pray that my kids never sin, and they get straight A's, and they marry a millionaire, and okay, but, but they are going to fail, right? I mean, I pray for you guys. I, Pastor, it's good. I pray, I pray. And of course, my prayers mean that none of you screwed up this week, right? I mean, I did the time. You guys don't have any... I mean, if I open up the pulpit to confess, we're not going to be here till midnight, are we? No, what Jesus' prayer is aimed at. He's like, I know, you, I know, you, I know you're screwed, Peter. I know everybody's, they're, they're, they're screwed. That's not the point. The point is, I'm praying that after the screw-up, that there's some thread of faith that's left, and that actually this whole experience, is, when it's done with you, Peter, is going to lead you to being able to strengthen your brothers and sisters. 
So when I pray for my kids, I don't pray that they don't ever screw up. That's stupid. That's a waste of time prayer. I mean, God's just stuck rolling his eyes going, I can't like, that's not what I do. I don't stop everybody from making mistakes. What I can pray for my kids is I can say, God, I'm stockpiling with you. I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying that after they screw up, they'd be shocked at your grace. Shocked at your peace. Shocked at your hope. Shocked at your forgiveness. You just step into that moment after they've screwed up really bad. Let me tell you a second story along these same lines of praying for people that are going to fail. In 1 Samuel 12, 23, it says this. Samuel speaking, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me, that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. But I will instruct you in the good and the right way. So let me give you a little bit of background on all of this. So what has happened is, God wants to rule Israel, the nation of Israel. He wants to rule them directly. And he wants to kind of do this a little bit through what are called judges. And the people of God in Israel, they're like, oh, we, it's so embarrassing whenever I go, you know, and talk to the other countries. We, you know, who rules you guys? Oh, we're ruled by God, and we've got judges. We, no, we don't want that. We want a king. We want to be like everybody else and have a cool king. Everybody's got a king. Kings are cool. We don't want you ruling us, God. We don't want this judge system. We want a king system. And here's my point in telling you all of this, is God's a little sideways with his people, and his people are a little sideways with him. And then there's poor Samuel, who's caught kind of in the middle. So God's hurt and angry that his people don't want to be ruled by him. The people themselves eventually get to the point where they realize, oh, we've asked for a king, and we, we kind of thought we just wanted a king. We didn't realize that was really going to hurt God's feelings. And so, you know, we've read the stuff that's happened before Samuel. We don't, we don't want to die in the, in, the, in the desert. We don't want to be, you know, locusts and, and hellfire and brimstone. And we how, Samuel, how much trouble are we in with the big guy? And Samuel basically steps into the middle of things between God and his people that are failing. Now, here's the interesting thing. This would be a little confession. If I was Samuel, I might go to God and go, torch them. Dude, they don't love you. They don't care. I mean, just whatever. I'm not with them. I love you. I want, you to, I want to follow you. But he doesn't throw them under the bus. In fact, he frames it a really interesting way about how he's going to pray for them in the middle of their failure. Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. See, what Samuel does is he looks and he says, you know, this is my position. Whether I like it or not, my position is to be between God and his people. It's my position to pray. It's my position to be a prophet. And you know what? I'm not going to leave my position just because this People are failures. More than that, I'm not going to fail my obligation to him. Now, here's where things get real interesting for you out there today. Who are you supposed to pray for? And? Dare I say it? Say it back to me. Say, dare, dare. 
dare I say it, who are you supposed to pray for and to not pray for them might be sin. A failure of responsibility, a failure of opportunity, a failure of this is what you're called to do. Now, I don't want that to necessarily feel heavy. It, it should feel like responsibility. We talked about already with Paul, and we're going to see a couple of other things, that sometimes this person that's praying, it changes the way things are going to go. How much time do you spend praying for your spouse? How much time do you spend praying for your children? How much time do you spend praying for your parents? How much time do you spend praying for your neighbors, your coworkers, your boss? Now, I'm not trying to create a list for you. Only God can create the list for you. The question, though, becomes, as part of this Christian experience, we know that God is, builds momentum in us through a bunch of different ways. So part of how he builds momentum in us is through his word and through worship and through church and through fellowship and spiritual gifts. And so God's constantly trying to put these things into us to build momentum, but then he's wanting to use that momentum for us to step into how he's going to use us to change the world. And some of how he's going to use us to change the world is our actions. And sometimes it's our morality, and sometimes it's our prayers. In Exodus 32, 31, go big or go home, this is Moses. And he says this about people that are failing. Then Moses returned to the Lord, I'll explain that in just a second, and he said, alas, this people has committed a great sin, and they have made a God of gold for themselves. But now, if you will, forgive them their sins, and if not, please blot me out of your book, which you have written. What's going on here? Well, if you've seen any of the movies, you get the general idea. Moses delivers his people from Egypt. And they go around and they're wandering. Eventually, Moses is going to go get the Ten Commandments. doesn't matter which movie you see. And he, he goes up and he's hanging out with God. He's getting these Ten Commandments. Meanwhile, God's people have turned the base camp into Vegas. Amsterdam. Pick your poison. Okay? So crazy land is going down here. Moses, all shiny from the coolness of hanging out with God, comes down with the Ten Commandments Really? It's, you know, all those memes of you had one job. Really? 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 And he sees this disaster. And so he's got to go, he's got to go back and he's going to address God. Now, wouldn't you maybe, again, throw them under the bus? I'm not with those people. I don't know those people. Moses does this. He goes back to God. <laughs> he goes back to God. And he says, you know, your, your, your people are way off base. They, they made this little god of gold, the golden cow. But then he says this. He steps up to the plate in terms of his responsibility and his position. And he says, but now, God, I, I, I'm asking for something. I know that what they did was way, way, way off base. I'm asking you to forgive them. And God, if you won't forgive them, blot my name out of your book of life. Kill me. Give up on me as well. He stands 
sort of before the potential flood of God's wrath or justice. It doesn't matter how you want to put it. The question is this, when was the last time you prayed for somebody that's failing and you prayed that bold? Maybe it's your kids, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your boss, maybe it's congressperson, maybe it's president, but you stood up before God and you said, I know they're not doing X right, but I'm asking you, God, to forgive them. I'm asking you, God, to whatever. When's the last time you were that bold? This is a guy named John Knox, pastor, missionary, Scotland. And after a time of, of prayer and fasting, he, he's in Scotland, and he, he stands kind of in a place where he can look over the shoreline a little bit, and, 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 he, and he says, give me Scotland or give me death. That's what he says. He says, he says God, I am so empathetic. I am so in love with this people. I am so... I want them to know you so much. I'm asking for this, and I'm asking for this with, the, with all I've got. Like, kill me is, is, is the biggest thing I can say. What would that be like for us? Well, for us, it would be like going up to, what is it, Hawk Rock, and you look over the area, and you say, God, give us Perry County or kill us. Or you're standing over your kid's bed at night and you're saying, God, I want my children to know you and to follow you. And you lay it all on the line. You pray bold and you pray big. And you keep praying even when they fail. Whether it's Peter, whether it's the Samuel passage, whether it's Moses, you just keep praying with perseverance. Because I've given up on prayer before because I, you know, at one point I'm like, this thing doesn't work. It works, but not magically, not mechanically. And I used to pray for stuff, and I used to pray that God would violate people and stop their free will. I don't do that anymore. If somebody's going to get cancer, I pray that they not get cancer, but after that, I pray God give them strength, give them peace, give them courage, give them hope. And if people are, you know, kids are going to just screw up, that's okay, my, kid, my kids are going to screw up. It's okay, I'm going to keep praying for them. It says this in James 5.16. It says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. This is the last verse that I kind of want to throw out to you. It goes back, actually, as a bookend to the beginning. Because it says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another. It's that transparency question. There's no way in the world people can know how to pray for you unless you inform them. Now, again, whether that's your spouse, whether that's your family, we've talked before in here about the importance of being in a connect group, being in a fellowship group, being in a place where you can confess. And you can say, this is what's going on inside. Not necessarily everything all the time. Some people have to earn trust. That's fine. But it's that idea. Are you transparent any place? Are you confessional any place? Because nobody can pray for you if you're not. You've isolated yourself and boxed yourself out from the things that prayer could have done. So confess your sins to one another. And then it says to 
pray for one another. And it, so this confessional transparent thing happens. This empathy prayer thing happens back. And that that's part of the path of healing and deliverance. Are you engaged in that? Does it feel like, again, spouse, kids, connect group, whatever, that there's a confessional component, there's a prayer component, and that you're on a path of healing? Or does it feel like I'm alone in this and nobody knows and nothing's happening? And then it says this, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And what does that mean? It means that some people's prayers are more effective than others. And let's kind of go, go through it a little bit. The effective prayer of a righteous man, what righteousness is it? is the person talking about? Is James talking about there? Well, it's not the righteousness that we get, the imputed righteousness of Christ because of the cross. It's just basically saying there are some people that are righteous. They're moral. They're acting the way God wants them to act. And that those prayers actually accomplish more than other prayers. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, let me explain it in real simple terms that I... I'm sure none of you will understand. Um, I, I was in high school, and I was considering becoming a Christian. I was kicking around the idea and stuff like that. But I found myself at a college party, and I, I, I drank a, a lot of scotch. And then I threw up a lot of scotch so that I could drink a lot more scotch. Okay? And have you ever thrown up so much that it felt like your shoes were going to come out your nostrils? Yeah. And so I prayed, because who doesn't when they're that drunk and they're heaving that bad? And I'm like, God, if you're out there and you get me out of this, I'll be a missionary to Uganda. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah, and maybe one of my buddies is a stall over and I'm, I'm praying for them as well. Okay. Is this a righteous person's prayers? No, this is just blah prayers. And we all do this, you know, God, I'm mad, I can't pay my bills, I'm mad. We just throw things out. But we've talked enough about prayer today to start to understand what does it mean to be vigilant? What does it mean to be alert? What does it mean to petition? What does it mean to be persistent? And what does it mean to be righteous? To be on the same page with God. And this idea in this scripture that some people, it's not that their righteousness is perfect, none of us are going to get it perfect. But the righteousness is significant enough that their prayers are more effective than others. Now that's where things get really interesting. Because I start to realize, okay, maybe I want to pray for those people in China, but maybe I also just want to live my life my own way. And then I go and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to pray for those people in China, but I've lived my life my own way, and all of a sudden, am I trying to pray for China? What's getting in the way is the fact that I'm, I'm, not, I'm not living a righteous life. So I can't get those people all they need. And so I'm suddenly, it's not, it's not about guilt. Maybe it is for some people. For me, it's about opportunity. And it's about, okay, I think those people really need my help. So I want to engage in living more righteously. And bring it real home. I'm praying for my kids. Not just praying when they get in trouble. Not just when they screw up. I'm praying for my kids consistently. And I want to live a righteous life so that when I'm praying for them, it has the power that it potentially has. So my open question for you about this whole intercessory prayer thing is, on, on one hand, do you view it as an opportunity? Not just to change the world. I think that it can do that. 
You can change your family. Change your spouse. Change your kids. It's not magic. That's not what I mean by it. I'm saying that the Paul passage in the beginning said that it really, really made a, a concrete difference in him. And we read other passages along that as well. But in order for all of this to happen, you're going to have to do a couple of things. One, you've got to open yourself up to empathy, alertness, and consistency. The other thing is you're going to have to receive prayer, which means that you're going to have to be transparent, confessional, and authentic. And let somebody into that squirrely little mess that we like to hide in here. But don't worry about it. I've been a pastor for 30 plus years. Just so you know, everybody in this room is a freak. Just don't take it personally, okay? I'm just, I'm just saying. I, you know, suits, ties, Mercedes Benz. It, it doesn't matter. We're all broken. We're all messed up, okay? And we all need each other in the midst of that broken, messed upness. So my final conclusions are this. Pray to others what they need. Pray for people you know will fail. Don't miss the mark of who to pray for. Pray boldly and don't blockade your own prayers through sin. Let me pray for us. Father God, we come before you. We find it amazing, God, that our words spoken on behalf of somebody else actually make a difference. And it does two things to us, God, to to know that. In one sense, it's so exciting. It's such a cool opportunity. It's so so neat that we can actually affect the, the world and our families that way. And the other part of it is so humbling, God. We we do it so few times, so haphazardly. We we live lives that sabotage our own prayers. So, Father, just help us. Help us, help us. We need help. We're Peter, Father. And and we're here to to say, we want to pray for others well. Would you forgive us of our sins? Would you bring us to alertness? Would you help us to be courageous enough to be transparent? Would you help us to to carry other people in prayer? Would you make us a people of prayer, Father? We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus the Christ. And all God's people said...